with all of these movements to bring darkness into light, I think having a voice, being able to express yourself is more important than ever, ever before. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello everyone, it's Bernadette back with another episode of She Renovates and today I have, I know I say this just about every week, but it's because I have so many amazing guests, but today's guest is extra, extra special and the reason she is extra, extra special is because Natasha was my podcast teacher. Now, the, the She Renovates podcast has been an incredible success, so Natasha, I'll share this with you too, but we're currently doing, we've been going for just a bit over a year, and we're currently doing around 700 downloads a week, which is incredible. And I know that quite a few, in fact, two of our students have started their own podcast. So I know that there are people in our community who would like to start a podcast. And also, so there's a lot of crossover because Natasha also has a history of a property history that's very typical to our our themes. And so I invited Natasha on to for us to just really explore that. So welcome, Natasha Moy. Would you start by giving everyone a bit of a rundown of who you are and what you do? Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Bernadette, because these are the two things that I completely love. I'm totally and utterly passionate about podcasting and giving people a voice. It excites me. And having a student actually successfully hosting a podcast with 700 downloads a week just makes me feel massively proud. (laughs) But the best part about that is that I also have an Airbnb and have done a couple of renovations and some flips along the way as well. So they're my two loves, speaking and beautiful things. So I'm very, very, very flattered that I'm on your podcast. And this is the first podcast I have ever been a guest on. Well, that's disgraceful, Natasha. <laughs> I'm actually, I worked on, I've, I've interviewed 2000 people. So I am the chair of Eastside Radio in Paddington in Sydney. And as the chair, I've been there for 11 years. I started with a food show, which was live, and I've interviewed all the top chefs, certainly all the ones from Melbourne and a lot from Sydney as well. And I've also interviewed a whole lot of incredible, remarkable people for my dialogue podcast um, that are exceptional, amazing business people. And I've recently also interviewed you, which I think is quite interesting. So we're having, it's a mutual appreciation society, really. We are. And yes, it's, it's got a very active membership. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so that's my background. My background is in broadcasting. I have a journalism degree and I, I sort of believe in people expressing themselves. And I think you can express yourselves through creativity and through your voice. I, more than ever now with COVID, with Black Lives Matter, with the Me Too movement, with all of these movements to bring darkness into light, I think having a voice being able to express yourself is more important than ever, ever before. It definitely is. And uh, I think to be the host of a successful podcast is a a real privilege 
because I'm not going to overestimate the impact of our little She Renovates, but you do have the opportunity to impact lives. Would you agree with that? Totally. I think the thing is, what I've noticed with the people that I've interviewed, and I've interviewed some very famous people and some very brilliant business people, some incredible founders of organizations. You know, I've interviewed people like Neil Whitaker, who is, you know, a judge on the block, and Barry Dubois, who's on television, Lindy Milan, who is a me- food media person. I've also interviewed people in business who make $300 million a year and who came over to Australia as immigrants. So I've, I've seen that whole, that journey. And I've realized that when you give someone a voice, I think what you create is an opportunity for them to, to, to work through some of their own challenges. It, it's an interesting thing. When you say something out loud, whether it's painful or whether it's joyful, it instantly creates its own energy. I think pain is always halved when you express it verbally and to an audience and I think joy is increased by a whole hundred a percent. So when you share joy, you feel happier. When you feel sadness, when you express sadness, I think it, it diminishes your sadness when you're saying it out loud. And when you talk about yourself as an expert, it really creates power for you as a business person. Yes, that's something that I sometimes feel quite uncomfortable about. And I don't think that's unusual, but yes, it does give you an opportunity to make life better for others, which is really what we're about, isn't it? Well, you're doing that at the moment. I mean, when I interviewed you, it was really interesting because you're giving women the opportunity, specifically women, the opportunity to actually build wealth and create some financial success. And when I interviewed you on our Living Out Loud podcast, it was a lot about that, you know, creating financial stability, financial literacy for women. How do you actually survive as a single woman or as a single mum? Um, I was married and, you know, got separated when my son was two and a half. He's now 15. I've been a single mom for a really long time. And when I bought my now Airbnb and I renovated it, it changed my entire financial outlook. It absolutely, I mean, it, mine is very successful. I make about, it's a studio I make about, well, I did before COVID about five and a half to six and a half thousand dollars a month out of my studio. And it was positively geared. And I actually lived off part of that income. Half of it paid the mortgage and half of it bought my food. I'm one of those unlucky women who didn't get an ex-husband who wants to pay any money. So I don't get any income support from my ex-husband at all, not for anything. So I put my son through school and pay for his golf lessons and his tennis lessons. And without that financial support of my Airbnb, I would not be able to do it. Yes, it's a very powerful strategy. And that's really, I guess, heartwarming to hear a story like that, that a tiny little studio can have that much impact on your life. Oh, it's absolutely massive. And in fact, I'm trying to buy another one at the moment um, in the same building because I took what was a seriously ugly, ugly studio. It was 40 years old, one of the most hideous spaces I've ever seen. And I didn't spend enormous amounts of money. I gutted it, did a beautiful, cool kitchen and nice little bathroom, did all white on white on white. And literally it was full from the day I put it up. And it was, it was an easy thing. It, I didn't find it difficult to do. It, it wasn't for me. 
I love the creative process and being able to actually do that made me feel really empowered. Yes, yes. And can I just drill down a bit more there? So basically, how big is the studio? It's a 49 square meter studio, 40 interior. It had a, it was literally being run, used almost as a hotel room. It had okay. an ugly, you know, a, the balcony, it was, it was just hideous. It was, just, it was yeah. truly the ugliest room I've ever seen. And I, I brought in a team. I didn't do as well on that side as I could have. I'm quite just, I'm not as organized as um, I would have liked to have been. Um, it was also post a big house renovation that I'd done in Darlinghurst. I went to an interior designer, commercial interior designer, and I said to her, Can you, I had to draw a plan for the strata. So she said to me, what do you want? And I said, oh, I want it to be really groovy. I want an exposed wall and I want this and I want that. And she just stopped me right there and she said, no. She said, people who want to stay in Airbnbs want to stay in a clean space. They want to see a white room. They want to see everything that is clean. And so what happened was... She did my drawings and we literally layered. I did a white floor, white bed. I bought all my furniture and everything from Ikea, Bunnings and Kmart. Well done. I do not, I will not spend money. My beautiful lights are from, um, from Bunnings. My kitchen is a, is a stainless kitchen from Kia Kitchen. And I had one or two custom things made. So I did thick custom bench top in my kitchen. There was really beautiful wood and in the bathroom, the same. And the bathroom, I put no cupboards. I just put shelving, beautiful wooden shelving everywhere. So it looked bigger, cost beautiful. me less money. Yeah. And, I did, yeah. and I did one nice light. Beautiful. Beautiful. And so you've got a bit of a theory around color. Mm, I do have a theory yeah. around color. And actually that friend of mine who she's brilliant, she does some amazing, um, some amazing commercial spaces in retail she said to me I said to her you know it's interesting a lot of my international guests are from China and Korea I have a lot of amazing Asian clients and I said to her why is that and I said and my friend who's in the same building had quite a lot of her clientele were coming from India and she said to me people will respond to color she said Korea and China they're used to the white on white she said in Korea you'll find the lights are almost fluorescent it's so white she said that will automatically appeal to something they're comfortable with my friend upstairs she has some quite poppy acid colors like a purple and a, a, a green and Indian communities are used to beautiful color they're used to living with beautiful color and so they migrate to her space it's That's so incredible isn't it yeah yeah fascinating the psychology behind color is massive Exactly. And I think the one of the things that's really key about an Airbnb is it must be immaculately clean, particularly mm. for an Asian market. And I think a white colour scheme certainly, I guess, suggests that it's clean. So it tells that story. So of course, you have to back that up with reality when they turn up. But it's it's a good way of getting that message across. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I use a lot of um, like my linen is all white. So I accent with neutral colors. I accent with gray. It tends okay. to be the color that I'll go to because it's, it's, it's not, not a cold gray, but a warm gray. So my throws on the bed are gray. I've got a gray sofa, a sofa bed, but I accent, I put, throw a white, soft, fluffy 
throw over the, the sofa. I've got a little bit of sequence in there, which I got from Kmart, just a little bit too. And then not too many bits and pieces. So my art on my walls is white on white. So I've got like a pony. Um, it's a white pony in a white frame. And above the bed, I think I've got a metal artwork, which is just fish. Okay. So, and then my kitchen is warm. My kitchen's got an aqua subway tile behind it all okay. the way to the ceiling. And it's got one shelf in it on the back wall, which is the same custom wood. And on there are all my cups and sauces and stuff. But I also have a belief that people like symmetry. I don't know if you agree with me, but symmetry is really important and balance. So it, it is. I do agree with you. It's very pleasing to the eye. Very much so. So I always say to like the cleaners and people, when you clean the tapware and everything, make sure that it's always pointing down, that everything, sh- you know, so all the containers in the kitchen have all in the same direction. The cup handles are all in the same direction. Everything is sort of seamlessly done so that it all looks, it's, it's just balanced and makes you feel peaceful <laughs> it does and i think the other the the other side of that is it it looks thoughtful exactly yeah and that's what a guest is looking for they're looking for a home where someone's considered their stay and you know feels and they feel loved in that environment Absolutely. I mean, I always, you know, I always leave, I don't leave a huge amount of goodies, but I always leave um, a beautiful box of chocolates for them so that, you know, there's something that they have and, you know, the little bits and pieces. And I make sure that everyone's really well aware of what goes on. The linen is always nice. They always thank you products, the hand wash and the shampoos and everything are organic. I think that just shows you know, those little touches and also things like how you roll your towels, you know, it's just like, they're really, it's really important how you fold your towels and stack them. And <laughs> it, it is, it is. It suggests that you've got some style and that you're just not the, I have had some problems with some of our cleaners. Yes. You really need to spell out every aspect of the presentation. What I do with my cleaner is I am um, the cleaners is I actually have a book where I take all the photographs of every single thing, exactly how I do everything, where it needs to be put. And I put all the big photographs, A4, into the flip folder for them. And then I hand that to them. And I say, this is how it needs to look when you're finished. And then I make them take photographs and send it at the end. So that everything is done exactly like I would want it to be done. Fantastic. And do you manage the communication or do you outsource that as well? I've been managing the communication. I have found during COVID, the one thing I've really been quite happy about is not ever having to clean and not actually having to do as much. I would consider an Airbnb manager going forward, especially if I had more than one. I think, you know, like you have to answer really quickly. You do. Yeah. Yeah. People really want you to answer quickly and you have to also be now, one of my friends who does it, she's very picky about her guests. She's quite sort of particular about their nationality sometimes. And, and I keep saying, you know, you have to be open to everyone and everything. If you are part of the Airbnb community, you cannot profile anybody. You're not allowed to. It's not part of the journey. It has to be something that is just, you have to be part of a loving community and you have to do it with love. Exactly. And it's funny, we've got a house in Western Sydney, which has been on Airbnb for quite a few years. 
And we get lots of, like the Olympic teams prior to the Olympics will train in the water sport venues in Penrith and they'll stay at our house because it's got a granny flat and they can accommodate nine people. And I had this request from a school teacher from Malaysia with six school children. And I have to say, I took a deep breath and then I thought, you know what? No, I can't. I'm not going to discriminate. I'm going to treat them like everyone else. And I was rewarded because they left the, the, the home absolutely perfectly. So there was, there were no issues at all. You never know where you're going to get it. I have had one really, really terrible incident in the three years that I've hosted. I did, and it was against my better judgment. My radar was screaming at me. Everything was telling me that I was making a terrible, terrible mistake. And I still went through with it. And unfortunately, they were junkies. And they, even though it was a very expensive stay, it was a $1,000 stay. And when I went in, they had gone to town to the point where they had stolen my knives. <laughs> really? <laughs> they stole my knives. I went to the police and laid a complaint about it. And, and, and it was, I was devastated by it, but it taught me a lesson. And the lesson that it taught me was that when your radar is telling you that there is a massive problem, generally there is, and mm. it's not anything to do with where people come from or their ages. It's to do with the way they communicate with you. If the communication is odd, If they don't follow through the way other people normally follow through, then you have to make sure that you do a good call. And I did a particularly poor call and I suffered the consequences. I've never made the same mistake again. So Natasha, did they come through Airbnb? Yep. They came through Airbnb under a false profile. Um, So it was booked under supposedly her aunt and then she arrived and said that she was waiting for her aunt and she was going to get let in. And they did ice in the apartment. They smoked. They did. There was bags everywhere. They chopped all their drugs on my tables. And it was, I mean, I was quite devastated. I remember feeling quite sort of violated by the process. But then at the end, I looked and I thought, well, if you're going to have one out of the hundreds that I've had that have been phenomenal, just exactly. going to have to roll with the punches. Yeah. That, that's actually unusual because most, oh, well, any bad experience that I've ever had has come through booking.com. Yes. I have tried them a few times. I've used booking.com a few times, but I always feel terribly insecure because it doesn't have the same way of, of handling guests. So it's definitely something that, I mean, if I could just get everyone through Airbnb, I would be so happy. Exactly. Yes. Because Airbnb has much more screening process. They do. I I do find also sometimes though with the hosting side of it quite challenging because it's very, very, there's a lot of pressure on hosts and people's expectations are very, very, very high. You know, they expect a five-star hotel at the price of a motel and it's difficult sometimes to rise. You know, I had one couple who came from overseas and she left me a note and she said, we would have preferred white towels. We would have preferred a juicer. We would have preferred a coffee maker like this. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I I was so, I was heartbroken because I tried so hard and, you know, I had the same for Mardi Gras this year. I had two American boys come over and I'd left beautiful Mardi Gras things in their apartment for them. And they were, very challenging but it's a business and you're running a business and if you look at it if you look at it as 
this is my home and you're invading my home. You, you, you'll never survive. You'll never survive Airbnb. You have to push it far away from yourself and go, that's a business. Exactly. You yeah. have to take the emotion out of it. Totally. totally. I, have to t- I have to tell you a funny story. We had a house that we had renovated and we were waiting for the market to pick up and just around the corner from where I live. And we had this lady, she was originally from the US but had been living in Australia. Her name was Crystal. In the booklet, I in the booklet in the house, I always write, you know, you may see some bugs because mm. this is Australia and when you have a lot of overseas visitors, they freak out about it. I think I no, I said you may see an, you may see a cockroach. But don't worry about it unless you see two or three that unfortunately the house is treated regularly for it, but we still see the odd one and it's just a fact of life. I got this massive diatribe from her about, you say it's no biggie, it absolutely is a biggie and, and, and gave me this serve about how germ-ridden cockroaches are and blah, blah, blah. And I wrote back and I said to her, look, if you're concerned about it, you'd be better to stay in a hotel. And she came back and said, you sure, can you guarantee that there won't be cockroaches in hotels? (laughs) Anyhow, and like she booked late, the rate was lower, it was cheap. My theory is when it's cheap, you get cheap than it like guests. Oh, absolutely. The the, the quality of the guests lowers with the price price point. It does. And anyhow, while she was there, she had an argument with her husband and he left. And she had to stay longer and she couldn't because the house was booked. And I also have another Airbnb at at home. And some of my team had actually said to her, maybe Bernadette's got vacancy. And when I spoke to her, she said, oh, um, Judy said that I might be able to stay in your Airbnb. And I said, I don't think that'll be suitable. And I thought, I just do not want this woman for another (laughs) few days. And she said, why not? And I said, because there are spiders. (laughs) And she said, actually, she said, I really like spiders. <laughs> I think I can't win. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yes, very irrational. But no, sorry. but I've had the cockroach issue as well. I've had people write back and say, it was just the most beautiful stay, but we did find a cockroach. And yeah. then I write back and I say, in Australia, the cockroaches fly. So chances are it probably flew in from the street outside. It's not living there. One cockroach, and Australia is known for bugs. So if you're coming here, I mean, you're just going to have to get on with that, unfortunately. Exactly. And that's why I write it in the book, in the manual, because I want to warn them so that when it happens, and they have the choice to book somewhere else if they're concerned about it and someone else can put up with the pain. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm impressed by your entrepreneurialism. So once you got your own Airbnb cranking, you chose to help others get their Airbnb set I up. I have. I've actually done quite a few. Um, I've done quite a few interiors. And um, fascinating thing was that the beautiful friend of mine who actually did my drawings for mine, my commercial, the drawings for the... She came to me one day. It was such a beautiful story, actually. She came to me one day and she said, listen... I live in Newtown. I, we've, got a, we've turned our beautiful cottage into an Airbnb. Can you come and just try it out for the night and let me know? So I went to her house and beautiful home and the 
cottage at the back was lovely. And she took me inside and she said to me, she said, right. She said, the bed has to stay there. And this tall boy has to stay here. And this has to be over here. She said, but you know, tell me what else you want and what else you think we should do. And I looked around the space and went into her kitchen and she said, well, you know, we've got some of our old plates in here and some of our knives and forks. I said, all right. And I was spending the night and I went inside and I had a glass of wine and then I had another glass of wine. And at the end of the second glass of wine, I thought, right, now's the moment. And I, <laughs> I'm not known for my filter. So I looked at her and I said to her, darling, I, I have to share something with you. And I was very quiet. And she looked at me and she goes, it's shit, isn't it? I said, it's so shit. <laughs> Dutch courage. <laughs> she, goes, she goes, why? I said, because if you don't want to live with those things, why do you expect someone wants to pay you to live with those things? I said, everything that you've shown me is wrong. So she said, okay, what am I supposed to do? So I wrote her a list of things that she needed and how she needed to rearrange it. Everything was, as I said, from Ikea and Kmart, because I don't believe in spending a lot of money. And I think you need to buy things you can replace. Exactly. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. And um, off they went the following day, her and her husband, and she phones me from the car and she said, where did you say we need to get that carpet from? She said, because my husband said that I'm not allowed to get anything that's not on the list. I'm not allowed to choose anything for myself. It has to be what you told us. <laughs> anyway, they did it. And she has been full ever since, wow. literally wow. ever since. So that one, you know, that was such a success story. And I loved it. I said to her, you did my drawings. Why would you want me? She said, I can't style. She said, I don't know how to style. It's not in my nature. She said, I can draw a space. But I love the styling. It's how do you mm. take an ugly space and warm it up with things, you know, with just a little bit of paint and just some clever touches, clever color combinations. You can transform anything. Exactly. And I think that's the other appeal with Airbnb it is an outlet for that creativity because many of us talking about women and you know I'm being quite sexist but I'm allowed to because it's my show Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, just really revel in that process of taking something that's really old and daggy and turning it into something stunningly beautiful Absolutely. And it's quite funny, you know, I've seen your space just through the screen because we've had some interactions and so much of your style that you have, you know, is I love. I would take so much of your texture, so much of what you've got in your home, and I would put that into another space. Just you, the way you've done your wash on your walls, your artwork, which is quite kind of stark against the, the white and dark. You really play with um, color and, and, and those monochromes really, really well. You've got that exquisite light that in your it's your dining area. Magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> so just, you know, and it's nice. I mean, you teach renovating. And so to be able to actually learn from someone who has a beautiful home and who actually knows what they're doing, I think that's really nice. I would happily go into a deal with you. I reckon it would be, you've got some beautiful, beautiful taste. Oh, thank you, Natasha. That's lovely. I'm, I'm feeling quite, my chest is getting bigger. As we speak. No, I think you want to learn, you know, it's like, it's like I teach podcasting. You want to know that you're learning from someone who knows what they're doing and who's got experience. You teach renovating. But even when I had a little conversation with you for my living out loud or a long conversation, I realized there's a couple of things, the sweet spot. You don't think about that sweet spot because I think you can get very emotional about mm. the renovating journey. And then all of a sudden you've spent too much money. You're in love with the process and not the outcome and it all, and I'm sure so many people must make those mistakes. 
Absolutely. Yes. And I did too for a long time. I think yeah. that would be something that, um, you know, would be really interesting to kind of learn. And the other ones that I've done for other people, it's been interesting. Some, a lot of friends have come to me and said, you know, can you help me? And then I've sort of taken the ball. So I've helped them with the basics and then taken the ball and kind of done it themselves. And I've said to them, I don't think that's a good idea. And they haven't listened. And they've often then had to come back and say, you were right. I don't know how you feel, but please don't accent with red and please don't accent with lime green. Oh, are two of the most shocking colors. I've yeah. seen people do it all the time. It is hideous. If you're desperate, use a use an ochre or a, you know, or a gray or, or, or if you're desperate, go black. <laughs> please don't use red and don't use green. Well, yeah, exactly. And the other thing is you need to be really in tune with what the general population, it needs to have broad appeal, I guess is the word. Yep. I've seen people flip and do stuff where they have a very particular style and they've got good money for those places, but you have to really know how to put something together cheaply and extraordinarily to make it really stand out. Otherwise, I think you've got to go for that broad appeal. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I do have a friend who um, has been on the podcast a couple of times. She's, she's a prolific flipper, uh, she and her husband. And um, every Renault, she goes to Bali and buys a container full of furniture. And, okay. and her Renaults are absolutely divine. And, um, and the buyer often buys the furniture as well. Mm. Uh, but she does have a very particular style that happens to suit her area. Now, I couldn't do her style in my area because it's quite over-the-top Balinese holiday type, and, yeah, you've got to sort of appeal to your market. Well, I think that's true. I mean, you've got to also look at the, the houses in the area that you're in. So if you, I live in the Southern Highlands and out here, it's, a, a, it's, it's sort of that New England style home. You mm. wrap around balconies and, you know, that kind of more colonial feel. And when people come to buy here, they're looking for that more sort of English, English country feeling. So to put something very urban you know, in, in this environment is not really going to work particularly well. But you know, in Sydney, you can go for that exposed brick, urban, monochrome kind of look, and it would probably float. Exactly. Is it true that you actually import some homewares? I did. <laughs> for a while, I did. I decided that I thought I wanted to, I'm obviously for my accent, I'm originally South African, and I really love African homewares and, you know, beautiful things that are handmade. I find the creativity in countries where there is more desperation is quite spectacular. And I really wanted to support the South African sort of craftsmen. And I went and I, I started a a, a place out here in the highlands but unfortunately the actual shipping from south africa i think it's zone seven and for every dollar you spend on products so you might be buying it on the street but by the time you've shipped it in it's a 200 dollars exercise and then you're having to sell it for 400 dollars. and nobody wants to buy a 400 dollar beaded owl um, no. i found that the hard way <laughs> Yes. Oh. <laughs> so I did, I did love the idea of it. And then I just thought, you know, maybe retail's not my gag. You've got to try. You've got to give it all a go, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that retail is a tough gig at any time. You know, it's, it's a very specific skill. And, like, you look at even big companies like Myra and David Jones, they can't make it work. 
I worked for a friend of mine down here in her clothing store for a while, lovely clothing store. And I just did it for fun because I thought I could, you know, I'd get out and do something over the weekends while my son was with his father. I think after about the fourth month, I phoned her one day and I said to her, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I said, I said, yeah, I become so depressed. I said, it is so slow. It is just, it, it is such a difficult job to actually do. You don't realize what sitting in a shop all day feels like. And sometimes nobody comes in or one person comes in and they're quite, they're not particularly nice to you, you know, so nobody really, mm. I mean, I want to chat to everyone. <laughs> I used it as a, I thought I commute. It was, I was so miserable. And um, I thought, wow, I take my hats off to people who can make this, this work. I oh, me too. Yeah, it is. It's, it's quite like, I like, I like action, so I couldn't think of anything worse than sitting in a, sh a store all day waiting for customers to come in. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that was, that was not one of my, you know, I've had a few interesting sort of failures along the way. I think, you know, successes are, you never have a success without a failure. I think they almost go one for one. <laughs> you absolutely do not. And was it uh, Henry Ford who said something about restarting, but this time more intelligently? If you learn from your failures, they're definitely the stepping stone to success. And that's really how you have to look at them. I, when I did, you know, w w the interviews that I've done with, you know, these remarkable people was really about their lives. And it was fascinating to listen to people's journeys, you know, people who would come in and they'd be pitched at me as, you know, this person's very, very successful. They're the CEO of a top brand. This person's a TV personality. And, you know, they would walk into the studio and they would sit down and, start telling me their stories and, you know, people would come out within the beginning, you know, I'd say to them, you know, how was your childhood? What was it like? And they'd say, you know, I was abused as a child. And you'd look at them and you'd go, Oh wow. And somebody would come and sit down and say, well, I actually am a recovering alcoholic or, you know, I came as an immigrant. I was on a boat, you know, I was, I, I, you know, my first wife did this or I was married and failed. The number of, absolutely mm. heartbreaking stories that I heard, but also the resilience that each one of these people had was quite extraordinary. The way they overcame failure and overcame human suffering to become remarkable. And even at that point of them being pitched to me or me finding them as remarkable people, they were still dealing with challenges that were part of everyday life. So they may have been perceived as successful in one area, but in another area, they were still overcoming a struggle. And so I would always ask them what their X factor was. You know, what makes you get up the next morning? What makes you get up and keep going? And they, the same story came up. It was just this incredible human resilience that it could be better. It could be better. It could be better. And that just kept them going. And so often it, it was obviously that much better, but... You know, famous people who would say to me, I wake up every morning and I put on a suit of armor because I am not that confident. And even though the world thinks I am, I walk outside and I am scared. That's so true. And that's certainly something that we deal with It's in our community. And I deal, everyone deals with it. So that, that sort of sense of doubt, even though you've been, you know, you may have been doing what you do for forever, then there's all there's sometimes that niggling little person in the back of your head saying you know who do you think you are you know and sort of eating away at your confidence looks are definitely deceiving because we look on people that we see on social media like the perfectly 
curated Instagram feed and think, oh, that person's got it so together, when in reality, just about everyone, well, everyone has a burden to carry. Absolutely. I always say Instagram's a liar. And I've said that many times to people. Instagram's a liar. They go, oh, your life looks so amazing. I go, Instagram's a liar. Because I can guarantee you now, every photograph that I put up, I've taken 17, I've retouched. They all look so beautiful and natural. And then it's, it's not the way that it's, you know, I could have had the most horrific day that day. Um, but there's no way I'm going to put up what a picture of myself crying. No. You know, you, you, you wouldn't. And it's not about not being honest. It's about people understanding that what they're seeing is not real. And exactly. if you understand it's not real, then you won't feel compelled to project that for yourself. You'll just go, I am who I am. I love who I am. I'm proud of who I am. And therefore, being myself is enough. Exactly. And I do think that a lot of women particularly really struggle with that, struggle mm. with thinking that they are enough and, that, and being proud of themselves. I see it all the time. Like as someone, you know, a woman would have finished a project and be really beating themselves up because they didn't make as much profit as someone else or, you know, what will their family think of them? You know, you know, that there's this intense sort of weight on their shoulders that they need to prove themselves to their, to their families and to their kids. And I guess to their naysayers, and that can be quite a burden. You know, women are, their own best friends and also their own worst enemies. You know, I've seen a lot of women be very cruel to other women, very unsupportive. I've seen a lot of insecure women try and shred women to pieces. And the average woman out there is actually just trying to do the best she can. Um, I always say everybody is on their own journey. We're all moving in one direction. Every now and again, we might bump into one another and that's a beautiful thing. But ideally, that other person is experiencing something totally different from you every single day. And it really is about trying to step back and be kind. And it's hard. It's really hard, but to try and deal with everything with a certain amount of love. And that sounds kind of hurry gurry and a little bit ridiculous, but I do think that gratitude journey can help women transform. If you say what you're grateful for um, at the end of yoga, which I do quite a lot of, I always, I always thank my body. I always thank my body that it's carried me through that yoga, that yoga experience, that it's strong. And, and I'm very grateful for the fact that I have that. And I think gratitude is, we just, we just, women are so hard on themselves. So hard. It's exactly. And I think we're going to end on that pearl of wisdom (laughs) that you have shared. And I just want to say, I'm actually incredibly grateful for the day that our paths have crossed because you bring a real richness to a relationship and a conversation. I want to thank you for that, Natasha. It's an absolute pleasure. It's actually been such a lovely experience seeing you succeeding and your podcast succeeding. Being on your podcast is such a privilege. I feel really, really proud today to actually be able to sit here and be the person being interviewed. And I hope that some of your guests maybe learn a little bit about, you know, the way forward and, and, and that gratitude journey. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you. Thank Beautiful. You. <laughs> okay, I hope you enjoyed that. So if you are not already a member, I want to let you know that we have a free membership for podcast listeners called the Renault Library. 
and in it you will access all the show notes and resources from every episode we have ever published. So we're getting quite close to the century, so there's quite a lot of resources in there. If you're not already a member, please go over to our website, follow the link um, from this episode and join up to the Renovation Library. See you next week. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.